The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, 1 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now, even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Thanks be to God. Now, on this Christmas Eve, let's focus for a few moments on the passage that Elder Montgomery has just read from Luke, the second chapter. May the Lord bless this proclamation of his word. 
The words with which our lessons and carols begin every year are most appropriate for this service as well. Beloved in Christ, be it this Christmas Eve our care and delight to prepare ourselves to hear again the message of the angels, in heart and mind to go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass and the babe lying in the manger. And that's our purpose tonight. As believers, we never tire of hearing it. We never exhaust it, and we long to hear it again and again. Let's note three things. First, God was at work in world history. Joseph and Mary seemed caught in the web of international affairs, did they not? Because of the emperor's census, the greatest inconvenience was brought upon this mother and Joseph journeying to a hometown to register, Bethlehem of Judea, and especially inconvenient because Mary was pregnant, great with child. A hint of the cosmic and universal significance of the birth of the Lord is here, for we see in these international affairs some greater king that is coming. Mary was told by the angel in chapter 1, verse 32, "'He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High,' And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Augustus Caesar is in his grave. Who prays to Augustus Caesar? Who bows the knee to him any longer? How God has turned the tables of international affairs. What happens to us in this great time of Christmas, in the realization of these things, is that what appears to us to be inconsequential as we read a text such as this is firmly seen to be under the Lord's sovereign control as He is moving all of history toward the manifestation of Christ's universal reign. Augustus is in His grave. Jesus Christ is on His throne. This is the providence of God his sovereign control over all of the affairs of men and of things. You know, I feel the deepest sadness for Christians who read the Bible and write out this truth. For when they do so, they miss the grandest and most important theme of the Bible in helping us to understand God's control of history and of our lives. But also because this is the text, this is the theme, this is the matter that buoys our hearts in times of hardship. God's good plan cannot be sabotaged, and we do not wish to think as the world thinks here, but we wish to think Christianly. Archbishop Thomas Cranmer, the great reformer, has a very striking sentence in one of his prayers that reads, God whose providence is never deceived. God whose providence is never deceived. You see, God will bring His people to what is profitable to them, and He will bring us home. He brought us the Christ child. The world says nonsense when we talk of these things. Just look at the world. Look at the chaos. Look at the wars and rumors of wars. The world thinks this is utter insanity. A virgin, a cross, a resurrection. How incredible. The people of God, God is not known by means of worldly wisdom. God makes the wisdom of the world foolish. By faith alone will always seem foolish to the world. For now, 
we the people of God walk by faith and not by sight. But when Christ comes again, then all will be sight. God was at work in international affairs. But then notice secondly from this text, the lowly circumstances of Christ's birth. The census could not have come at a worse time. Go to Bethlehem now when she is so pregnant? This seems insane. Bethlehem was 90 miles from Nazareth. But in verses 3 and 4, we are told, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. The reader is being prepared to understand that the birth of this child, he will be a descendant of David, the king. David was from there, as we saw in our text on Sunday. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. In order to fulfill this, God brought perplexity into their lives. They didn't understand fully what was happening. Mary, pregnant, no human father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, no ordinary inconvenience, that. And then the time of her pregnancy, now complete. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Here is David's descendant in David's city, David's kingly descendant. And there he is, wrapped in strips of cloth, bandages probably to keep the infant's limbs straight, laid in a manger, probably a feeding trough for animals. The habitation of animals because no lodging was found for the king of kings and the lord of lords. No privacy for the birth, no ordinary comforts that a woman should have at a time like this. But as someone has said, Caesar's whim was God's decree. And the whole Roman Empire was being used by God for the purpose to bringing the child into the world that would redeem us from our sins. And this is still true today. In the chaos of world news, all of those perplexing things that you listen to on NPR or read on the BBC, what the news can never report is what is really happening. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? What is the Lord teaching us through this humble birth? Let me tell you three things. First, the Lord is teaching us that God's son was Mary's little baby. She took him into her arms, cuddled with her boy, undoubtedly sang to him songs that she knew, or repeated psalms that she had memorized, because that is how near God is to us. God himself, the second person of the Trinity, came in the flesh, nourished from his mother's breasts, skin on skin, real flesh, real incarnation. God assumed human nature. Why? Why did God assume human nature? The answer A nature not assumed could not be saved. A nature not taken could not be redeemed. And so he assumed human nature to save us from our sins. 
A second thing we are being told is that this Savior who came into the world took our condition. Our Westminster Larger Catechism speaks of circumstances of more than ordinary abasement. He experienced the effects of the fall. He bore our utter misery. He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He came to go to the cross and pay the penalty of our sins. He came to bear our hell. And then thirdly, the Lord would have us know that as the second person of the Trinity assumed human flesh, came into this world, he came to reveal the large, infinitely large, infinitely glowing heart of the Father for his people. What is the heart of the Father toward us, you ask? You see it here. The heart of the Father is to send his Son so that that text we read earlier might indeed be known to be true by us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That reveals the heart of the Father to us. Christmas is about Christ who came into our confused world. Confusion caused by our own sin, our own rebellion, in order that he might atone for our sin. The cradle is ultimately about the cross. And then thirdly, let's think about the shepherds and the angels for a few moments, may we? Who would imagine the combination of angels and shepherds? If the angelic hosts were not so majestic, I think it would be comical to think of the combination of angels and shepherds. The birth of Christ not only concerns earth, the birth of Christ concerns heaven. Christ is Lord of all, of men he came to save, and of angels who in their purity serve him adoringly. And then we have the shepherds. Now remember, the shepherds were a despised class. But God overthrows the lofty, as we hear Mary sing in her song. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. The angels tell us that this new thing calls for great joy, as we have just sung. God is saving his people through this magnificent birth. The angels sing the first Christmas carol. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Christ brings a new situation of peace between God and man. The gift of this peace is upon those of God's free choice because our contribution is and remains zero. And that is what you and I need to hear. We sinners who could contribute nothing to our salvation, who could contribute nothing to our redemption, Hopeless, helpless, lost, undone. This is what my heart longs to hear. That God did what I could not do. That He sent His Son. That He condescended. That God assumed human nature to save me from my sin. What we long to hear is this authoritative message that there can be peace between my heart and God. That this awful guilt can be removed so that I might be right with God. 
The coming of this child means the breach between God and man has now been closed. The presence of angels proclaims harmony between heaven and earth. Say, let me ask, do you know that? Do you really hear these words on Christmas Eve? Do you know that? Do you understand that what Christmas is all about is that you and I are sinners, hell-deserving sinners, and that God sent His Son in order to reconcile us to God? Do you really understand? Have you put your trust alone in this Savior who alone is the reconciler of sinners to God? Have you put your trust in Christ? And what a wondrous thing it would be if during this Christmas Eve service someone who didn't know Christ would even at this moment bow within his heart and say, I trust that Christ for the first time. And I understand that now I am reconciled to God through this baby who grew and went to a cross. The angels left the shepherds in pitch black. But let me tell you, even though in pitch black, they had never been so much in the light. They hurried to Bethlehem and they found the child just as the angel had told them. And I like to think that these rough, dirty shepherds, having been out in the fields with their flocks, probably smelling like sheep, came near to the Son of God and with their rough fingers brushed his cheek or patted his head. Touching the face of the Son of God. God become man. And what of Mary? Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She's lost in holy meditation that God has so favored her to bear this child who is the Redeemer of sinners. Will you join on this Christmas Eve? Will you join your meditations with hers? Think on this. Augustine, the great Augustine, reflecting on Jesus, the maker, the ruler, the bread, the fountain, the light, the way, the truth, the teacher, the foundation, the strength, the healer, the life, says man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witnesses, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Or perhaps you will mingle your meditations with Martin Luther who said, if it is true that the child was born of the virgin and is mine, then I have no angry God, and I must know and feel that there is nothing but laughter and joy in the heart of the Father and no sadness in my heart. Well might we sing, joy, joy, joy. Now, Every year, it's humorous uh, for me. You probably have gathered I have a somewhat vivid imagination. And it's humorous 
that uh, I think about what some of you are going to do after this service. Someone will say, is there a store open? I've thought of one last little item. You know, my, my father well provided for us, and, <clears throat> and he worked hard. He worked so hard. Um, but I do know that sometimes he would put things out for us after we were in bed, and he would say, you know, just doesn't look quite right. And he'd be out finding some little place that was open to add some little something because he loved us. And then there's the phone call. Aunt Petunia is on the other end. She's coming for Christmas dinner after all. You have to apply the gospel to your heart because you really didn't want Aunt Petunia (laughs) to come for Christmas dinner. Or the bicycle won't come together because you're just not mechanical. Call a neighbor. Or the children won't calm down. They just keep getting up. May have a glass of water. And when all seems like chaos, even in your own heart, remember. Don't forget for a moment, in the midst of all of that, remember, the Savior is born. The Savior is born. Amen.